Hey there, it's Chris again from Cafe Solo, and we're still on the go. We could call this our Sunday drive home from Austin, St. Paul Lutheran Church. Pastor Wolfmiller might get a little upset with me if I stole that name, but <clears throat> some time ago, probably before Pastor Wolfmiller decided to do his Sunday drive homes, I was planning on doing Cafe Solo on the go, so maybe he stole it from me. Maybe. Anyway, just leaving Austin right now. And, wow, <clears throat> you know, I don't usually use too many words like, that was awesome, that was great, you know, when it comes to church, because that just always strikes me a little bit evangelical, but I must tell you, I got there in time for the Sunday school class, the Bible class, and it was really good. Pastor Wolfmiller started, uh, we started with a, a hymn, we sang a couple of stanzas of a hymn, and then he shared with us a little brief recap of what he did in Sweden, which was, oh, it just sounded like it would have been a great trip. Oh, I wish I could have been there. And then, after that, he decided that he would answer some theological questions. I thought, oh, he's going to open it up to the class. We're going to get to raise our hand. I'll get to say, hey, it's me, Chris from Cafe Solo. Can I ask you a theological question? But no, he pulled out some three by five cards. And he had uh, previously had people from the church write down some questions that they wanted him to answer. And he's going to tackle them probably every week until they decide to do something else. I think he thought he was going to get through more than one today. But given the topic that he picked randomly, by the way, he fanned the cards out and somebody picked a card. And it was about contemporary worship. Wouldn't you just know it? So after... <laughs> oh, he's so funny. He decided he made... Oh, so much he said that was good. I'm going to get tongue-tied probably. But of course he, had, he talked about Charles Finney. He talked about the... Uh, new measures and the anxious bench and all that kind of stuff. And then he went off uh, into kind of how the whole tent revival thing worked its way into the church. And that was really, really good. And then he actually left on a good, left the, the whole discussion on a very good note. Because he was talking about kind of the three phases of things. How the praise songs were kind of introduced into the church for one purpose, and then the praise songs uh, kind of became, started to be used for a different purpose. And, uh, well, you just have to listen to it. Let me put it to you that way. He, he, he just had a really good message in, in this Bible class. So that's what's going to be coming up in just a few minutes here on the Cafe Solo podcast. And then after the class, I went to the Divine Service here at St. Paul's, or there at St. Paul's Lutheran Church, Austin, Texas. Oh, by the way, if you're ever in Austin, Texas, seek this church out. Make, make the trip. Even if you're, you know, 
somewhere on the other side of town. Make it, make the trip there for for Sunday morning service. It'll be, you'll be blessed by it. The divine service was great. I of course checked in with an elder, made sure that they were okay with me taking uh, the supper, which they were, and uh, that was truly, truly a blessing uh, to receive the the body and blood, the forgiveness of sins there at St. Paul's. Well, enough of that chatter. Enough of me just rambling on as best I can. I'd like to now turn it over to Pastor Wolf Miller and his answering their question about contemporary worship. I have your questions that you all submitted to me. I was going to take the hard ones out. <laughs> but then I remembered Pastor Ketchelmeyer's here, so it's okay. If I get stumped. <laughs> okay, so pick a card, any card. Let's see how this goes. Ah, here, this is interesting. This is a very interesting question. What exactly is wrong with non liturgical services and praise band music? One of you is curious about this. I heard someone say one time that the fights in, oh, we had a synod convention last week. I wasn't really paying attention. Does anyone know how? <laughs> I was busy. I'll try to get a report and figure out how that and give that to you guys, because that's important. I think, uh, I'll, I'll give you that next week. Um, but I heard someone talk about the uh, synod gathering and convention, and every time they get together, it's the, one pastor called it the tri-annual Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> The scheduled triannual Armageddon, we get together to fight, and the fights are always about three things. My old pastor, Nib my parents' old pastor, Niblet, uh, said this. Pastor Niblet was not known for his kind of not offending people. <laughs> In fact, one time he was, <laughs> he was he's great. Uh, he, uh, I went to church over there with mom and dad. It was like the first time I went to church. And he stands up in front of everybody to welcome everybody, and he says, welcome Walmart shoppers. <laughs> and then he says, I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> kind of guy and he says, we get together every three years and we have fights about wine, women, and song. Why? Wine, women, and song. We talk about communion and the communion fellowship. We talk about women's roles in the church, and we talk about the liturgy. Those are our three fights, and they're kind of the perpetual fights of the Missouri Synod. Now, that's probably right, actually. Uh, and one of the divisions in the church um, that has been a division in the church for probably about 60 years now or 70 years is the question of the liturgy. Now, some of you remember growing up and there wasn't any option, right? You just had the red hymnal or even the old version of the red hymnal, which was the blue hymnal. And then the even older version was the black hymnal. But it was the same hymnal, just had different cover. Do you remember? How do you remember the black hymnal? I'm not saying you're old. I'm just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know, but I didn't join the church until I was Oh, yeah. Yeah. So how many of you remember those days when just, you just had a hymnal, and that's all it was? There wasn't any question. And then all of a sudden, when in the, probably in the 60s, all of a sudden, there was a question of, should we, should we follow these uh, kind of old forms of service, or should we... Uh, embrace some some newer liturgical forms or newer service ideas and one of the things that came along was the idea of the praise band now probably the praise band uh, 
there's a there's a lot of different sources, but probably the clearest source was the the way we know it now was the Jesus movement, which was back in the early late '60s, early '70s in California, and it brought what was kind of folk music and camp songs and brought it into the into the church service. What, why? And it worked really well for major evangelical churches because the major evangelical churches um, had already adopted a a form of service that we can identify as revivalism. Revivalism. Revivalism was a movement in the, uh, it really is it's an American sort of thing in the church, which says that the service, uh, that you, you get together in these services for the purpose of having revival, and the pastors will always talk about when will the church have revival? When will the spirit bring revival? You guys, you remember? Did, did any of you ever go to tent meetings when you were growing up? Yeah. I, I, there was a creek that was by my house growing up in Kerbo. We'd go, we'd ride our bikes over the creek, and the creek was called Camp Meeting Creek. And that's because right around the corner from the creek, there was this big kind of flat place, and they'd have all these camp meetings. The, guy, the preachers would come through, and they would have the big tents, and they'd have a revival service under the tent. And what's the purpose of the revival service, just in general? What's that? To get people saved, but specifically, is to get people to make a decision for Jesus. Uh, the, 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 the guy who crafted revival services was a guy named Charles Grandison Finney. Charles Finney. Have you heard that name before, Charles Finney? He was perhaps, I mean, he was, well... This doesn't necessarily matter, but he was very ugly. <laughs> I mean, you think I'm insulting him, but then if you go, if you look up a picture of him and you're like, oh, you're right, he was really, I mean, you've seen some of those pictures of C.F.W. Walther, who was not a real looker, you know. But uh, some, of them, some of them was back in the day, uh, they were about the same time, and, and you look at Finney, and he had this, he had this really strong brow, a huge brow, these big eyebrows, and he looked just, and his hair, big forehead, and he just looked really angry. Well, Charles Finney was the leader of what was called the Second Great Awakening. And, um, and he said, this is very interesting, Charles Finney said that in every age, the church has a way that people distinguish, that the Christians distinguish themselves from not Christians. So he says in every generation there's a way that Christians set themselves apart from, from not Christians. And he says this, in the, in the apostles' age, it was baptism. But in our age, we have to have what he called new measures. So he says the apostles had baptism, but we need something different. And he invented the new measure. It was called the anxious bench. So they had the benches up front. And Finney, or the revival preachers under Finney, they would go to these places and they would preach and they would get people worked up into a frenzy. I see you guys looking on the picture and you're, can you confirm that he is not an attractive man? <laughs> yeah, you, kind of, yeah, he looks like Neanderthal. He looks like, a, like the missing link kind of. <laughs> and those were the young man pictures. If you see the old man pictures where his hair is kind of green. Anyway, this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. His theology was uglier than his face because... He says, we have to have new measures. We have, to have this, we have to have this anxious bench so that people will come down to the anxious bench 
and there they will they will set themselves apart as Christians by by, by coming forward. And so they, he called it the new measures, the revival and the decision for Christ and the anxious bench and all this sort of stuff. And his revival meetings also were marked by these kind of charismatic manifestations. People were they were barking and they were falling over and they had uncontrollable laughter and all this stuff was spinning. And this was the big thing in the United States. It was the it was new. It was the new measures. It was the idea of this revival that you have a, you have these serve special services, and at the end of the service, you uh, you then are inviting people to come forward, the sawdust trail, and give their lives to Jesus. Now, what happens is this is very interesting because these revivals would not be on Sunday morning. They would be on Saturday night, on Friday night. They'd come in town for a week, and people would go, and the preacher would preach every night for a whole week. And at the end of that, the people would de dedicate their lives to Jesus, and then the preacher would move on. And then they went back to their normal kind of Sunday service. But what started to happen in, in, the, um, in the turn of the century in America is that this idea of revival started to make its way into the Sunday morning services. So a lot of churches have this kind of revival-shaped liturgical service, or it's the revival-shaped liturgy, or re re revival-shaped service. And, and, you, and you can tell the major difference between like a liturgical service and a revival service is that in the revival service, it's geared towards the unbeliever rather than the believer. And it's, it's pushing towards the conversion event, the decision for Christ. Uh, you saw that in the Billy Graham Crusades and those rallies. And if you visited your friends at the Baptist church or whatever, you see they have the same sort of shape. In the liturgical service, it's really interesting, is we come, we, we make... This is a kind of funny way to say it, but we make a decision for Christ at the beginning of the service. I mean, we come and we say, I'm a sinner that needs the Lord's mercy. We say the sinner's prayer, what we call confession, <laughs> and we hear the absolution, and we enter into the service as wholly forgiven people. The revival service does it the whole way is leading up to that sort of moment, and that kind of comes at the end. And so that shaped a lot of the churches. It shaped the Baptist church. It shaped some of the, the sort of more revivalized Methodist churches. It shaped some of these other churches. Well, then, when the, um, when the new music, when the praise song came along in the 60s and 70s, it just went perfectly into the revival service, into the revival service. Because the praise song has as its goal, to, well, number one, to praise the Lord, but number two, to... Um, invoke an emotional response uh, at the music. Uh, I remember one time, so do you guys know this, there, if you are familiar with some of these, with some of the uh, praise songs, you'll know, you'll recognize this name, uh, Chris Tomlin. Do any of you recognize this guy named Chris Tomlin? He, his always, I think for the last 15 years, if you look on the top 10 list or top 100 list of praise songs, his Song "How Great Is Our God" is number one all the time. It's just he's just and he's always got number one, two, five, whatever. He's from Austin. He is. Yeah. What? <laughs> I. We should. Is he live here still? I think so. All right, I'll track him down. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll get him. Don't worry, we'll get him. I, I, I understand. You know that every person I meet, I understand to be in one stage or another pre-Lutheran. <laughs> oh, you're a Baptist? Pre Lutheran. You're an atheist? Pre Lutheran. So uh, I was interviewing Chris Tomlin about the music, and I said, What is the role of a worship leader? What's the goal when you're standing up there? 
and he says, the goal is to lead people into the presence of God through the music and the song. And I said, how do you know when you're in the presence of God? And he said, well, you, I don't know, you just know it. You just know it. You feel, it's like a third sense. You feel it. And what starts to become clear the more we investigate most of the praise songs is that it has a different idea. It's answering a different question. What is the liturgy, what, is the, what question is the liturgy answering? Are you a sinner and do you need a savior? Yeah, that's right. How can the Lord's word carry sinners to the Lord's mercy and bring us to life everlasting? In some ways, the liturgy is like the table manners, the table, the table manners for the Lord's Supper. It's a confession of the true presence of Jesus in the body and the blood. There's a reason that most uh, denominations that are not liturgical do not have the body and the blood. They don't confess it because there's something intimately connected to between the liturgy and the presence of the body and the blood. But the praise song service and the revival service is mostly asking, how can we experience the presence of God? How can, we, how can we cultivate the experience of being in God's presence? Um, so, so when I'm asked, so the question here is what's uh, exactly wrong with non-liturgical service and praise band music? I don't, it doesn't, I don't think it necessarily has to be wrong, but it's just shaped up to be, to be answering a different question. Can you imagine if I go to the store um, and I'm looking for pizza, does, does Whataburger count as a store? Can you go? <laughs> I'm looking for pizza, and I go to Whataburger. And I'm going to leave there very disappointed at Whataburger. I might even review them on Google reviews and say, <laughs> and say uh, I was so disappointed in this store. They did not have what I was looking for. I was looking for pepperoni pizza, and all they had was delicious burgers. <laughs> uh, Pastor Ketchelmeyer and I, in fact, talk about this a lot, a lot, about how there's something really lost when we lose the liturgy. In fact, he tells a story. Uh, I don't know if I should let him tell it, but I actually might tell a story better than he tells it. <laughs> Even though it's his own story, I make it better. Because I'm not sure if it's exactly true, but so we'll have to see if it's good. But a couple of years ago, he fell off the uh, ladder in his backyard and shattered his elbow to bits. Like, no, shattered the wrist. Wrist. The story's already off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> elbow's better. See, I told you, elbow's better. Shattered his elbow. Okay, dislocated his elbow, shattered his wrist, uh, and is in just excruciating pain over this thing. So he drives to the, like the... Not, not emergency room, to like the, the care place and, and, and is sitting there and he said, can you give me something for the pain? It is, I'm just, I've never felt pain like this before. And they said, oh, you're not, we don't have like the morphine and stuff here. So he's sitting there waiting, 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 trying to figure out how to deal with this pain. And so Pastor Kachelmeyer starts singing the liturgy. <laughs> and he's singing the liturgy and the Lord's Prayer and the Kyrie and the Gloria in Celsius and the Nunc Dominus and it's like he does it's like the, I, I can't think straight I, I'm in this pain I'm kind of sunk in it I just I, I don't know what to do but it's there I have that as a resource and I and that's what I can I can go to it's like it's ingrained in you it's the same sort of thing when you go uh, and, and that and he, this is how he endured that sort of pain which reminds me that the liturgy is there to teach us how to endure suffering. The liturgy is there to teach us how to die. The liturgy is there to prepare us for all these things. It's like um, 
whenever we go to see someone and maybe their mind isn't even there anymore, they can't remember their own name maybe, but they still remember the Lord's Prayer. It's an amazing sort of thing. I heard the story once that you can see the tracks from the wagon train from space. Can you imagine that? Like the, when the wagons went west over and they, and they just dug the roots, the ruts in the wagon wheels so deep that you can see them from space. And I think that's what the liturgy does. It just digs that, the word of the Lord down deep, deep, deep. So it's, it's just, it becomes part of who we are. And if it's different every Sunday, then you lose that. You start to lose that. So. <laughs> I think, I think that the praise song has gone through three phases now. And, I, and I, we're, in, we're in the middle of a transition phase. So, the, so at first, this music was asking, how can we make the music of the church more accessible to young people? So there was the folk music tradition, and they brought the folk music into the church. So like in the 70s and the 80s, the question was accessibility. It changed, I think, probably somewhere in the 90s. In fact, I, I put it in 1996. Uh, which is kind of specific, and maybe it's not that, maybe it's not right. But the question changed from now, not how can we make the music more accessible, but rather how can we cultivate the experience of a, of a direct connection with God? In other words, in the mid-90s, the praise music became very, very mystical. And it, and it had that language of romance. It was very individual. It was very spiritual. It was very internal. Um, uh, it had the idea of losing yourself, being swept away in the presence of God, being overcome, uh, be, uh, um, the, the, all this kind of stuff. I think now it's going through a third phase, and it's really interesting, because the critique that there's not enough theology in the, in the praise and worship music um, has been leveled by the Calvinists, by all these kind of theological Calvinists who are doing praise and worship, and we're starting to see now, in our own generation, a more theologically robust praise, uh, praise song music, which is good for us. I mean, it's just it's good for the church. Now, I don't know if it's going to be useful for the Lutherans, uh, for us, because it's not, I mean, some of it might be. But I do think that we're entering kind of into a third phase where it's going to be less romantic, less mystical, and more helpful. Like, for example, there's a guy named Stuart Townend. He's an English fellow. He writes praise music. And he writes beautiful hymns. They're, they're stunning. We could sing them in church, no problem, if we had the like, copyright to them or whatever. Um, How Deep the Father's Love to Us is an example. It's a beautiful hymn. It's a praise song. It's beautiful and, and orthodox in every way. Or uh, um, there's another one that he wrote that's even better. Um, in Christ Alone. It's a beautiful hymn. Um, it's, but it's probably more of a hymn. It's probably like a hymn snuck into the, <laughs> but, um, but I think it's happening in a lot of, in a lot of churches. You'll find this in a lot of the sort of kind of, uh, what, like pop Calvinist churches. So like these reformed churches that kind of, kind of pride themselves on being very theological. They're taking our old hymns and they're just doing new settings of them. And so that's good. Now, again, they don't, they don't have the liturgy, so they don't have all the riches, but it's getting better, I think. Yeah, there's another question over here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. That, uh, you, so you have your different, you have your different liturgical options. So you have your, maybe you have your traditional service, then your blended service, then your contemporary service. 
And what, what those churches are trying to do, so there's a question they're trying to answer. So, that, so putting those options there is an answer to a certain question. And what's the question that they're asking? What do people want? They're asking the question, what do people want? Now, that is an okay question to ask to a point. But at some point, that, that has to have limits. Uh, because in some ways, um, the Lord is, he teaches us what we ought to want. And when we, see the, when we see the liturgical worship of the scriptures and of the church being brought to us year after year after year, we have to say, we have to say, is it, is it wise to throw away this heritage? Is it, is it, is it going to be helpful to get, to get rid of this thing? I think it turns out that it is sort of, uh, well, now, this is my, I used to argue about this all the time. But I have the conviction more and more that the praise service, um, uh, that the praise service is a phase that the church will grow out of. Now, I could be totally wrong about this, but I think in 50 years we'll think back and think, what were we doing? And we'll be liturgical again because it's the liturgical service that has some, I mean, it just it's, it's stay, it has staying power. One of the problems of having the big debate, like are we liturgical or do we do praise and worship music, one of the big problems with that is that it... Um, uh, I lost my train of thought because I saw the clock. <laughs> it becomes about style over substance. Oh, oh, yeah. One of the big problems about the debate is that it, it kind of has frozen us to ask how can we, what can we do to serve the next generation by improving the liturgy? You know what? How, how can we, how can we add to the, how can we add to the liturgical heritage of the church? How can, we, how can we bless the next generation by doing something beautiful here? And the problem is, whenever you try to change anything now, then you get accused of being a, you know, the guy that wants to throw away the liturgy. So we've, kind of, we've sort of petrified ourselves. I, I have a liturgical innovation idea. Like I, my divine, I want to call it divine service setting six. <laughs> and it's a different order of service. It's a different kind of, it's a different liturgy. In fact, it starts with a, it starts with a instruction on the Old Testament. And then it has the service of the word, and then it has confession and absolution, and then it has the Lord's Supper. So it switches the order of things around a little bit. Here's the question, and it's really an interesting thing to be able to go to both of those services. And then ask these critical questions. When I go to the liturgy, what is it saying about me, and what is it saying about God? And when I go to the praise service, what is it saying about me, and what is it saying about God? When we go into the liturgy, we find ourselves standing in the heavenly court saying, as guilty that we deserve God's punishment, and yet he comes to us with grace and mercy and feeds us his body and his blood. Oftentimes what happens in the praise service is I find myself kind of chumming around with my buddy and my friend. See? So what, are they, what, so what is it saying about the liturgy and what is it saying about God? I was going to do like six questions today, but <laughs> that was the first one. So that was good, though. I hope that's helpful. Uh, a couple of thoughts. Um, we'll, I got, so we still have a pile, so we'll take some more up next week. Does that sound good? Uh, just a couple of announcements to put in your ears before we have our closing prayer. Uh, number one, to remember that next Saturday is the funeral service for Mr. Ritchie uh, at 11 o'clock here. So that's next Saturday. Uh, and then next Sunday, we have the boat party on Sunday afternoon, and I believe there's a couple of spots left. Is that true? Yes. A couple of spots. Eight. Eight spots left. So if you want to be on that, one of those spots. 
that's uh, that's good. Nobody we no, nobody is allowed to push anybody down the slide. That's a, so you're safe. <laughs> no, that's not a rule. <laughs> Any other announcements that we need to have our attention brought to? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we give you thanks that you that you invite us into your presence with your kindness and your love. That you that you don't send us away, but that you call us near so that you can serve us with your forgiveness and with your body and your blood. We give you thanks that you've invited us to, to receive from your fullness and to give you thanks and praise for it. We pray that you would give your church on earth wisdom as we sort out our prayers to you, that you would give us unity, that you would show us the treasure that you've given us in, in the divine service, uh, that you would bring an end to all the fighting uh, about how we should stand before you, and that you would bless us with your word and your kindness. For we ask all these things through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. I hope you enjoyed listening to that Bible class with Pastor Wolf Miller as much as I enjoyed attending it. I was uh, blessed to sit right there in the front row and have my camera there. I was able to get permission from Pastor Wolf Miller ahead of time to do the videotaping. And if you're seeing this, then I also got permission from the elders and from the church to share it with you. So, yay. <laughs> and uh, hopefully they'll allow me to come back from time to time and do some more uh, recording there. It's just something that the interwebs need, the YouTube needs. It needs more good, solid Lutheran uh, preaching, good, uh, and teaching, and Bible study and discussion. It just needs all of that. So that's why Cafe Sola, me, Chris Hogan, is finally venturing into these waters. Uh, I'm sure I will grow in my ability to talk to the camera and just randomly spew my thoughts out there in a more coherent way. I appreciate your patience in these early days. Uh, I will tell you this, uh, thanks for sticking around so you get this message. Um, I was able to talk with Pastor Wolf Miller uh, after class, after the Divine Service. Oh, oh, side trip, side trip. Pastor Ketchelmeyer was here too. While Pastor Wolf Miller was in Sweden, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, Pastor Ketchel, that's a hard one. Pastor Ketchelmeyer was there at St. Paul's to preach and also there to conduct a wedding ceremony last the night before. And he was there for Bible class. I got to meet him again. I met him before. He's an amazing man of God. I just really enjoy talking with him. And got to chat with him a little bit after the divine service. And then on my way out, I got to chat a little bit more with Pastor Wolf Miller. And uh, he has promised me, I, I know he's good at his word. He's going to do it. I just send him the information he needs. He's going to do a little introduction for Cafe Sola and for Chris to introduce the podcast series on his book, the podcast series from Cafe Sola, where I'll be sharing with you the audio from my Saturday morning Bible class, where we 
spend way too much time in each subject discussing things, but it's really, really good stuff. You will, you will really enjoy it. All the guys in the class have been just very happy that we chose to do this, and they have told me on any number of occasions that they think that more people should hear this, more people should read the book, here's the book, more people should attend this class, and I'm like, wait, I'm just me, I'm just, you know, I'm, and they're like, no, this is good, you're doing a great job, I'm like, okay, whatever, it's like, I'll, I'll take these audio files and I'll put them out there, and hopefully people will share them and like and subscribe and follow, and what are all those things people do online? I don't know, but they're going to do them, right? And you're going to share it, and you're going to tell all your friends, and more people will get to learn and study really from Pastor Wolf Miller through the class, through this broken vessel called Chris Hogan, and maybe be motivated to go out and buy the book and get even more out of it, because I don't put everything in the book in the class. I put a lot of it in there because it's just, it's all good, but if I put everything in there and broke it down the way that it needed to be broken down, it would be, I'd be doing the class for two years, I think, and we don't want that. I did that on Revelation, two, year, two and a half years on Revelation. If I had the audio from that, if I could find it, I'll share some of that with you at some point. That was a good class, but it was really, really detailed because the class wanted to do that. They didn't want to just be like, oh, tell us, you know, 33,000 foot whatever uh, view of Revelation. They said, no, let's, let's keep going. So we did, and it took a while. But this class won't take that long. Before I put them out, I've already got 26 in the can. Uh, I just have to trim them up a little bit, get the introduction from Pastor Wolf Miller on there, and then uh, I'll be able to share those with you on the Path Cafe Solo podcast. That's it for now. This is my rambling, my Sunday drive home from Austin after my, uh, oh, it's such a blessing to just be at St. Paul's this morning and to, to attend the Bible class and then attend the divine service and receive the Lord's gifts. I hope you do the same every Sunday and I'll catch you later. This is Chris from Cafe Sola, and we'll see you next time. God's blessings.